Exodus 3, I know, it is so exciting. You were like, when were we going to get to Exodus 3? Well, the answer is tonight. Uh, my name is David Livingston. I'm one of the guys on staff at Docs at Church. I'm a church planning candidate. Uh, and so super excited to kind of live life with you guys here in Madison. I get to teach the Bible here on Thursday nights sometimes. And so if you're new, that's who I am. Um, so tonight we're talking about names, okay? Talking about names. And if you're new, that happens, by the way. That, that loud noise will happen periodically through the, the sermon. Um, we're talking about names tonight, okay, guys? We're talking about names. It's, it's a blow dryer for your hands. And if you can't find it, it's, it's dark. When you're in the bathroom, you have to, like, search around the wall. You'll find it, and you can dry your hands off. We're talking about names, okay? And my name is David Livingston. And so if you, don't, if you don't know this, like, David Livingston is also, like, this famous missionary to, to Africa from, like, many, many years ago, like, a fantastic man. And so when my dad was, was naming me David, like, they were, like, I had already come out. I was alive. And my dad was, like, running around the hospital. He was, like, trying to figure out, like, should I name him David Livingston? Like, do I want him to have to live under the weight of, like, he's never going to be, like, the David Livingston, right? There's always going to be one who's, like, clearly much better and superior to me. So he's, he's, he's running around the hospital, and so he's asking people, like, hey, do you, do you know a David Livingston? Just trying to figure out, like, how many people know about this missionary. So he's like, do you know David Livingston? And they're like, no. Have you ever heard of a David Livingston? No. Have you ever heard of David Livingston? No. And, and so he's like, okay, I, I'm safe. Like, I can name my son David Livingston, and, like, it won't be this thing. And then I became a pastor, right? And so uh, there's lots of jokes that people say about my name, especially when you go to missions conferences, because it's like a... A funny thing missionaries do is tell bad Christian jokes. Okay, anyway, so names are important, right? The, the name you have, it like says something about you. It like, it defines you in some way, but like your name isn't everything about you, right? Like, because in order to actually know someone, you need to know their story, right? Because you can go on Facebook and search David Livingston. It's not just going to be me. There's going to be like a ton of different David Livingstons going to come up. And so in order to know who someone is, you need to know their name, but you also need to know their story. Okay, another quick thing about my name, Okay. So I used to do photography. Uh, I had like a kind of budding photography business in college. I shot weddings. I did kind of architectural photography and, and landscapes and different things. And so I had like a website and I was like trying to go for it. You know, like I'm going to build this business. It's going to be awesome. And one day I was home and I, I got this call uh, from like this number I didn't know. It was an area code I didn't know. Uh, and it was kind of this, um, this uh, company uh, out in California. And so they're like talking to me. They're like, hey, are you David Livingston? I'm like, yep. I'm David Livingston. They're like, davidlivingstonphotography.com. And I'm like, yeah, that's me. And they're like, well, hey, we're on your website. We're like looking at all your photos. And uh, we have this new, this new building we just are kind of finishing up. And it's in, it's in LA. And they're like kind of telling me about this project. And it's just like multi, like hundreds of millions of dollars of project, like of this building. This architectural marvel. And they're like, we want you to come and like photograph this. And I'm like, are, are you sure? Like, are you sure? Because I live in Ames, Iowa, and, and I've, like, photographed, like, a house before, okay? So are you sure? And they're, like, looking at my, they're, like, yeah, no, this is, like, these photos are great. And they're, like, actually looking at my real photos on my website, and they're, like, yeah, we want you to come. And so they're, like, we're going to send you all the paperwork here soon. We'll be able to fly you out. And I'm, like, I made it. Like, this is it. Like, I'm going to be this amazing professional photographer. My dreams have come true. And so they call me back, like, three days later, and they're, like, hey, David. And I'm, like, yeah. They're, like, yeah, we were looking for a different David Livingston. Uh, there's like this professional photographer in LA who's like world renowned for his architectural photography, also named David Livingston. They were like, yeah, we wanted him, not you. So sorry, good luck with your future, bye. So anyway, that's how I became a pastor, guys. Uh, <laughs> that story led directly to today. Um, but names, right? Name, names are important, but you didn't just need to know someone's name, you need to know their story. Because not only does their, their name define who they are, but their story defines them. And to, tonight we're looking at 
the moment where those two things clash together. Where God's going to define himself by his story, but actually he's going to reveal his name. That's what happens in Exodus 3. God reveals his divine name to his people. And the story of God revealing his name, it does, us, does three things, okay? Three things I want, I want to help us see. That God's name, the revealing of his name, it, it reveals something about who God is. It reveals something about who Jesus is. But actually at the end, actually hearing the name of God and him revealing his name to us, it actually reveals and tells us something about who we are, okay? So Exodus 3, I'm going to catch you up real quick because a lot has happened in this point of the Bible up to Exodus 3, okay? This is like the very beginning of kind of the book of Exodus and everything that's happened in Genesis so far is like God has chosen a people, Abraham, and Abraham had a son, Isaac, and Isaac had a son, Jacob, and Jacob had a son, Joseph. And there's like this terrible famine going on, but basically the long story short is this. God saved his family, his people, from this famine by like sending them to Egypt. And it was this like amazing miracle. And they get in Egypt and they kind of have this place of blessing and provision by God. But over time, like the power structures in Egypt, they change. And there begins to be this systematic oppression of the Israelites. And so over 400 years kind of elapse and you get to this place where like the Israelites, they are in slavery, they're in poverty, they're in this like horrible system of oppression and slavery. And then you get to this man named Moses. Okay? And now maybe if you haven't been in the church before, you maybe heard of this, this guy Moses. He wrote a lot of the Old Testament, the first five books specifically. And this is the kind of the story of, of him meeting God and him hearing the name of God. This is Exodus 3, verses 1. Re- read this with me. It says this, says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he, he came to Horeb the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. Okay, real quick. I, this is not, I shouldn't do this, but that's super weird. He says that out loud. Like he's with a bunch of sheep and he's like so weirded out by this bush thing that he's like, I want to go over here and check this out, but I'm like, I feel really awkward about it, so I'm going to out loud say, I should go over and see why this bush is burning. He says that out loud. Are you not weirded out by that? I'm super weirded out by that, okay? He said this to the air, right? He's just by himself. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. So he's, he's moving close to this bush, and God speaks to him and says, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Okay, now I want to stop for a minute because some of you in the room, you're like, this is a story that's familiar to you. You've like heard this in like flannel graph when you were a kid and you've like heard this in talks before, like this moment where Moses meets God in, in a burning bush. But I want to just like strip away the unfamiliar and I want us to just like think about this moment, right? Because he's, he's taking care of his flocks and he sees this bush that is being consumed by fire. Like it's, it's like consumed, like flames are roaring around this bush. But the, the bush is not being burned. And so he starts to walk towards this phenomenon, and he's like trying to figure out like what is going on with this, and then a voice comes out of the flames and says his name, like says his name. Like what did that sound like? 
like, what, what that voice, was it cra- like crackling and like sputtering like the flames? Was it, was it like earth shaking? Was it like, was it like a whisper? Was it soft? Did it sound like wind? Moses starts to have a conversation with God. And, and there's something interesting that's happening here. And I, and I want to kind of point this out to you because um, this is like in the, the Hebrew text, but we need to like bring this to the surface if we're going to understand like what's going on here. So there's, there's two different words that the text uses for God. Did you guys catch that? So one is just, it says God. And in the Hebrew, the way you kind of say this in Hebrew would be like El- Elohim, Elohim, okay? And so the word Elohim in Hebrew is translated into our English Bible as just God, right? And I'd put it on the screen, like, but we can't read Hebrew, except maybe for one of us, and I'm pretty sure he failed his last test. So anyway, um, he can't, probably can't read it very well either. Um, but there's another, there's another word. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, it was in D group. He told us this. Anyway, okay. <laughs> The other thing is this, okay, the Lord, right? It says the Lord. And so there's two different ways the Bible says the, the word Lord. Well, sometimes it's like, lower, it's like uppercase L and lowercase O-R-D, right? Just like we would write that in English. And it just means like master. So sometimes it'll use it like of Jesus. He's like, he is our Lord. And it just means like he's our master. He's our king. We serve him as our Lord. But sometimes you see in the Bible, Lord, and it's all lower, it's all uppercase, like capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Right? And so what actually the Bible's doing is it's trying to help you see that, that it's giving you a representation of something. And so when you see that, capital L-O-R-D, Lord, it's, it's basically saying this is a translation of the divine name. It's a translation of the divine name. And so the way that Hebrews would write the divine name is they wouldn't actually put the divine name in there because they thought it was too holy to actually even write down. And so what they would do is they would give you a representation of it. And so in kind of the Latin characters would be like Y-H-W-H. And so they didn't even give you like the, the phonetic pronunciation of it because they didn't want you to actually say it and like kind of say it in a, like an ungodly way because they believed it was so holy that if you used the name in vain, like you would be struck dead. And so they revered it tremendously. And so they actually just put this representation of the divine name, Y-H-W-H, saying this is a moment where we're translating the divine name for you. This is the, a presentation of the divine name of God. And so we don't actually really know how to pronounce this. And so the, the best way that we have is Yahweh, right? Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh, okay? So that's, the, that's what it means when you see it in the Bible, the Lord, okay? Now, all this will become important in a moment, okay? So I'm not just going on a rabbit trail. This is what happens next in verse 7, okay? Verse 7, it says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. So first of all, I just want you to just notice for a second This God who's speaking to him, this is a God who sees. This is a God who hears. This is not a God who sits kind of idly by and does not interact in the world when he sees injustice, but this is a God who sees injustice. He hears the cries of his people and he acts in history. You just have to know that, that this is the God of the Bible. And he says, I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up to a land, a good and broad land a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Clearly an amazing place, okay? And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel have come to me, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Powerful moment. 
right? He's like, I want to use you, Moses, like in this kind of cataclysmic, supernatural, amazing way where I want you to, I'm going to send you and you are going to do this amazing thing where you're actually going to free these millions of people out of slavery and you're going to bring them to the promised land. And look what Moses says. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? But he said, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this very mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask him, what is your name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, okay, if, you, if you're Moses in this moment, this seems like an incredibly unhelpful answer, right? He's like, hey, who do I, like, what's your name? Give me your name. Tell me something about you so that I can go and kind of tell them, oh yeah, this is who, uh, this is who this God is. And, and God's like, I am who I am. And he's like, okay, great. Do you have like a shorter nickname version of that? He's like, yes, I am, right? It's like, what? Like, that doesn't seem helpful. It's like in Sandlot, right? Where uh, the kid's like, hey, you want a s'more? And he's like, s'more of what, right? It's just like, there's this total disconnect going on. Um, I think of this moment of like, in a, like, if you're like in a movie, right? Or like, maybe you're at the spring conference and you like, you met that person at like the dating session, right? And like, you see them and they're like, you're like, I think this is my soulmate. I don't know, but I think it is. And you see them like waving goodbye and you're like, oh my gosh, no. Like, what's your name? You yell that. And like, as she's leaving, she's like, I am who I am. <laughs> you're like, no, <laughs> like so unhelpful, right? so unhelpful. And like that's what it feels like is happening, right? It feels like, like he's like asking for something real and God's like not giving him anything. But this, this phrase, this phrase, I am who I am, in the Hebrew, it's really interesting, okay? We're going to talk about the Hebrew language a lot tonight. Just get, get nerdy with me. It's awesome, okay? I am who I am. The Hebrew is echia, asher, echia, okay? You, you don't need to try to pronounce that. It's very breathy. You'll spit on people, okay? Echia, Esher, Echia. And, and that's kind of how it would come through. And so this, this word Echia, uh, it's translated I am. We, we don't have an English way to translate this. It's a really big idea. And it basically means like, not just I am, but it means like I am and I have been and I will be. It's like this idea that it's like there's this unchangeable reality. Like it isn't just that I, I am right now, but I have been and I will be forever. It's this like kind of forever expanding in either direction, like moment of existence, like I am. That's what eh, yeah means. But the, the people who are older, like that's kind of how it's written in Hebrew today, but the people who are like old, like the old men in the camp, they wouldn't say eh, yeah, they would say eh, wah. Eh, wah. This is like the oldest kind of Hebrew version of this word. And so Moses asks for his name, and God says, I am who I am. Tell them I am sent you. But look what he says next, okay? Verse 15, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. 
And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and I have seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I promise, I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. There's this interesting thing that happens, okay? He, when God says his name, he says, I am who I am. Echweh, esher echweh. Tell them echweh sent you. But then when he tells him what he should actually say, he doesn't say, tell them echweh sent you. He says, tell them Yahweh sent you. So what's happening here in the language is actually when God says his own name, Echweh, it means I am, I will be, I always have been. But when he gives that divine name to humanity, he changes the first part of it. So it's not Echweh, it's Yahweh, which means he is. So it's like personal, like I would say I am and I'd give that name to someone else and then as they say it back to me, they would say he is. So the word Yahweh that we have, this divine name of God that he's given to us, it's he is. And here's what's interesting because this isn't meant to be some like a frustrating political evasion of the question, right? Is he asked him like, give me your name. He's not trying to frust him, but if you asked me to define myself and I said I am who I am, that wouldn't be saying anything, right? It'd be completely unhelpful. You'd be like, no, tell me something about you. Like, where are you from? What do you do for a living? Are you in a relationship? Like, help me understand who you are. What's your name? Like, who are you? But when God defines himself with the name, I am who I am, he is saying something that can only be true of him. What he's saying is he's saying, I am not defined by anything other than myself. He's saying, I am my own definition. I am the definition. I define myself because there's actually nothing other than me that I could possibly be defined by. What he's saying with this name, it isn't an evasion. It is this like philosophical statement of who God is. And it is much bigger than the picture of God that most of us have in our minds. God is saying with this name that he gives us, he is saying, I am absolute existence. I have no beginning and I have no end. I do not change and I do not waver. I am the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow forever. And every single time we say the name of God, Every time we read that divine name in our Bibles, we are meant to be reminded of his nature. Yahweh, he, he is, I am. You can't say that of people, right? We are fickle, we are fading, our love fades, our world, our, our words fail, right? We are like happy one moment and then sad the next. We're joyful one moment and then angry the next. But as God introduces himself to us, he introduces himself as one who is utterly unlike us in every way. One who can only be defined based off of himself. And this means that whatever God is, he is the fullest and most complete definition of that. And he is that always and forever. Like think, think about that for a moment. Like whatever God is, 
if he is full of grace, if he is joy, if he is life, he is the fullest and most complete definition of that possible. And he is that and has always been that and will always be that forever. And that means that all existence, all matter, all emotions, all thoughts, all humanity, the, the stars, kind of everything that we can conceive of in the cosmos it means that all of that is like an echo or a shadow compared with him. God is not the abstract shadow thing in the universe. Everything else in existence is the shadow compared to him. He is the one fundamental reality. He can't be improved. He is who he is. And when God says that his name is I am, he's making a statement about himself that transcends anything else we could say in human language. It's like, it's like the bleeding edge of what our language could, could say about him. But I want you to see something else that's, that's amazing, okay? Because even after he reveals his name, and it's this like lofty philosophical statement, look what he does next. How does he tell Moses to describe him? Because this is amazing. Verse 15, he says, Say to the people of Israel, the Lord, He is. But then He says, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, He has sent me to you. What He's saying is it isn't enough that they know that I am God. If they are going to know His name, if they are going to know Him, they have to know His story. And what he's saying is he's defining himself like in this massive philosophical way. I am pure existence. And then in the very next breath, he then defines himself by the people he has chosen to unite himself to. That is stunning. And so he says, I, I am who I am. And then he says, I am the God of Abraham, a man but what's the man that he has chosen and made in a covenant with him? He says, I am the God of Isaac who spared his life and substituted a lamb on the mountain for him. I am the God of Jacob who loved him and provided for him his whole life. That is crazy. Think about that for a moment. That when God defines himself, when he reveals his name to you, he does not just reveal I am, he is. The very next breath he says, and I have chosen to define myself based off of these things three people and their family. That is crazy. And he says, I'm going to do something amazing. That's the story of me in the past, but I'm about to do something in the future. I'm actually going to save you. I've heard your cries, I've heard your suffering, and I've come to free you. And the rest of the Old Testament is the story of, of, of God doing that again and again and again. And actually what comes out is that God will do that in these next chapters. The story of the Exodus is the story of Yahweh making his name known. And as God reveals his name to us, he's giving us a window into who God is. But I want you to see this also. It's also giving us a window into who Jesus is. And so I, what I want you to do is I want you to, you can kind of keep your finger in here. If you have one of these, you can keep it here. And I want you to go to John 8, okay? John 8 because in John 8 is kind of the, the next thing we see where this I am thing takes this massive turn, okay? So John 8, Jesus is on the scene, okay? So to go, the Old Testament, boom, fast forward like thousands of years to New Testament, okay? Jesus is on the scene. 
He's healing people. He's teaching. He's doing miracles. And everyone is asking this question, who are you? Who is this guy, Jesus? What is he doing? What is he about? What defines you? What is your definition? And so John 8, verse 12, this is how it starts. It says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Okay, strong statement. And so in the Pharisees, they're these kind of religious rulers of the day, kind of like the, the church people of the day, they come back at him and they say, Jesus, you know, you're always saying this stuff, okay? You're saying these like kind of big lofty statements like you're the light of the world, you're the bread of life, you're, you say that you are the truth, you are the door. But here's the thing, that's great and all that you're saying that, but it is you that's making these statements. Like you're the one saying like that you're the bread of life. And if you're going to say something as serious and profound as that, then you need to have some outside source of you to back that up, right? You've just stood up and started saying this on your own authority. You can't do that. That's not how this works. Who do you think you are? And, and if you think about it, like that makes sense. It's a fair assessment, right? Jesus is saying, I am the truth. What I say is true, therefore believe in me, right? It's like kind of this circular argument and you're trying to figure out like, that doesn't make any sense, Jesus. You can't do that. And so Jesus kind of answers them and he says this. He says, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and I know where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from and you do not know where I'm going. And then skip ahead to verse 23. And he said to them, you are from below and I am from above. You are of this world, but I am not of this world. And then look what he says next. He says, I, I, I told you that you would die in your sins. It's very pointed, right? Jesus, Jesus doesn't hold punches when he's talking with people he loves. He speaks very pointedly and seriously because he cares about them. And he says, I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And so they said to him, who are you? Who are you, Jesus? And so Jesus gets even more pointed in verse 31. He says this. So Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they answered him. They said, we are the offspring of Abraham. We have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say to us, if we believe in you, you will make us free? Now I want you to just notice what is happening here. It says, they say, we are the offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. In this moment, the religious leaders have essentially rewritten the history of the story of Israel. They say, we are sons of the promise. We are Abraham's offspring. We've never been enslaved. And what has happened in this moment is a window into the problem of God's people and a window into the problem of a lot of our lives. Because even though they've always been defined as those that God has rescued, they have started to redefine themselves in and of themselves. And so they've started to say, we are something. We are important. We are powerful. We are Abraham's offspring. Every one of us would fill in that blank with something, right? But the problem isn't that it isn't just not true. It isn't just they've rewritten their history and it's a false history. The problem is that in erasing their need, they've erased their relationship with God. 
Because it wasn't in their prosperity that they found God, it was in their need. And it wasn't at our best when we met God, but it was actually when we were at our lowest. It was when we were slaves, when we were powerless, when we were needy. That was actually the moment when God revealed his name to them. And so just like Jesus is asking them, like, do you even remember who God is? Do you even remember who you are? And the answer is no. They, they don't. Because when Jesus is standing before them offering light, truth, satisfaction, joy, and salvation, their answer is we don't need it. We don't need it. We've never been slaves of anyone. We are free, autonomous people. Don't you know who our father is? Abraham. Our father is Abraham. Who are you? And then Jesus says something even more pointed. He says in verse 51, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, they will never taste death. And now this is just too far, right? Because Jesus now claims to have power over death itself, right? Death, the curse of our world, the result of our sin. Isaiah says that it is the covering that is cast over all people. It is inescapable. This inescapable result of being separated from the creator God, Jesus claims to have power over death. And so the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon, right? Because Abraham died as did the prophets. And yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died? Like every single great person that's ever lived in the history of the world, they all died. Are you saying you are greater than all of them? And Jesus answered, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and he was glad. And so the Jews said to him, you aren't 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? Right? They're like, what are you talking about? Like, Abraham, you're, you're talking about Abraham like he knows you, like you're friends, like you have this deep relationship, like you actually know each other, but you're not even 50 years old and Abraham died like thousands of years ago. And look what Jesus says next, verse 58. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And as the voice of Jesus' words echo through the temple, no one brings another argument, no one speaks, but Silence just fills the temple as those words of Jesus just like sit and hang in the air. There's nothing more to be said. Instead, one by one, people in the crowd, they start to pick up stones. Because you see, what Jesus has just said is either the greatest profanity and the greatest evil that has ever touched the lips of humanity or it is the truth that overturns and redefines all that there is. The divine name of God, Yahweh, I am, he is, right? There's almost nothing more holy in the Jewish mind, right? Names, like they're kind of important where we live and like in our time, but like they're, they're so small compared to what they meant in the Jewish mind, right? A name isn't just something that was attached to you in the Jewish way of thinking, but your name defined you. Actually, in, in Hebrew, the, the word for soul is like in the middle of the word name is soul. So it's just like, it's like your name and your soul, like is like this really close tied together thing of saying like you're name is you. It defines you. 
It's like wrapped up with your soul. And the name of God, his personal name, there is nothing more sacred. So they don't say it. They don't even write it so that you'd accidentally read it out loud in the wrong posture of heart. But Jesus has just used the personal name of God to define himself. Before Abraham was, I am. Since Exodus 3, all of the prophets, all of the priests, all of the kings, if they have used the name of God at all, it was always Yahweh. He is, right? He is the eternally existent one. He is the unchanging one. He is the creator and sustainer of all things. He is the one who has saved us and delivered us out of slavery. Yahweh. He is our deliverer. He is our God. Jesus never once uses the personal name of God that Israel has known. When he prays, he prays to his father. When he talks about God, he talks about his dad. He never says he is, but what does he say all the time? I am. And it isn't just once. There are seven different times where Jesus attaches this I am statement to something that only Yahweh can be. John 6, he says, I am the bread of life. That is a statement only Yahweh can make. John 8, I am the light of the world. Only God can say that. And there's five other times where Jesus says this in some kind of absolute way. Right, John 6, when the storm has come in and the disciples are getting tossed in the waves, Jesus walks on the water towards them. And do you know what he says? This won't come through in a lot of the translations because the Greek is hard, but this is literally what he says. Don't be afraid. I am. Ego I me. John 18, when Jesus is being betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, soldiers are there to take him away, and he reveals himself in the exact same way. He doesn't say, I'm the one you're looking for. He doesn't say, I am Jesus. No, he steps forward, and he says, I am And John tells us that at that utterance, it is so powerful that everyone falls down on the ground. Like they fall over. And it's like even though they're there to arrest him, and even though they do not believe that Jesus is who he says he is, when Jesus utters the divine name and he says, I am, it is like even though their hearts do not believe it, their physical bodies cannot help but bow down on the ground before him. And John says that what Jesus was doing in his life here is that he was revealing the name of God to us. That's what he was doing. He's revealing the name of God to us. And and how does this work? Because in Exodus 3, they already knew his name. He gave them his divine name. Israel has known the name of God. Well, the reason that Jesus reveals the divine name to them. The way that Jesus reveals the name of God to the people of Israel is because Israel has always known that Yahweh saves. They've always known that. That is who God is. It isn't that he revealed his name, and as he's revealing his name, he's revealing this promise to save him, and he did it. Yahweh saves. They know that. But they never knew what it cost God to save them. And we do. Because that's what Jesus was doing. It was I am who brought them out of Egypt. And it was I am who died for us on a cross. And this doesn't just tell us something about God and about Jesus, but actually tells us something really important about us. Okay, Back to Exodus 3. 
<laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> Yahweh first meets Moses, right? The eternally existent one meets Moses, says his name, has this conversation with him, and says, I want you to go. I want you to be my messenger. I want you to, to, as a leader, I want to use you in my world to accomplish my purpose. I want you to be my ambassador. I want to send you out into the world to do something incredible, Moses. And what does Moses say? How does he respond? He says, who am I? Like, who am I to do that? Like, you're talking about great, amazing things. Who am I to do that? And that's a really real question. I feel that question all the time. I feel that question every time I stand up on a stage and try to open the Bible and explain it to you guys. I feel that time every time I'm sitting down with someone trying to explain the things of God. I feel that every single day I wake up and I put on this badge of Christian and I walk out into the world and try to tell people about my king. I feel that question so deep inside of me. Who am I to do this? I know my failures, my flaws. I know what I lack. I know my sin. And the question is, who am I to do these things? And when I ask that question, fear and insecurity cripples me. And I feel like I'm unable to do these things. I don't have what it takes. Surely there's someone else you can send but me. But what is God's answer? Because this would change your life. What is God's answer? He says, who am I? The very next thing God says is this. I will be with you. That's his answer to the question. God, who am I? I will be with you. Moses, here's what you need to know about you. And Christian, here's what you need to know about you. You are the one that the great I am is with Think about that. He's saying, Moses, your primary identity, your name, your status, your defining reality is this. I am with you. That's what you need to know about yourself. That's the most fundamental reality about who you are. You are the one I am with. And what is amazing is that Jesus says the exact same thing to us. Right before he leaves right before he sends us out into the world on a mission to spread the glory of his name to the ends of the earth and to every single person in Madison, he reminds us who we are. Matthew 28, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. And so the question is, who are we who are we? Who are you? We are the ones that Jesus is with. That's who we are. We are the ones that Jesus is with. And so the question that looms over our lives is, well, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And he has told us. He says, I, I, I am. That's who Jesus is. He is the eternal, unchanging one. He is absolute existence. He is the one thing that all existence is anchored to because he is the bottom of everything. That's who Jesus is. The God who died on a cross for our sins, that's who Yahweh is. He's the God who rose again. He's the God who stands in heaven with our names engraved on his hands and 
our names written on his heart. Do you know that when you get to the end of the story, you're going to stand before God and you, you will see him like this Isaiah 6 moment, right? You're, like you're going to see him bigger and, and more unbelievably weighty and holy than you could possibly ever imagine. And there's going to be this sense in which like his definition is just he is. Like he is absolute existence. That's all that he is. And yet he has chosen to define himself by you. His name His existence, his story includes you. At the end of the day, God is not just I am, but he is the God of Abraham. He's the God of Isaac. He's the God of Jacob. And he's the God of David Livingston. My life and my story has been wrapped up into the story of God in such a profound way that the Bible literally says that our names are engraved onto his hands. God has a name and he has a story and it includes you. He has chosen to join himself to you in such a profound, unalterable way that it has now buried itself into who he is. He's aligned himself with you. He's defined himself by you. And he sends you out into the world and he says, here's who you are now. You are the one that God is with. And when we believe that, when we get that, it will change everything about the first step we take in the morning and it should change everything about the last step we take in our lives. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm out of time. I got so much more to say. I just feel like that is unbelievable to me. That is, you are like the, the baseline. You can be defined by nothing except yourself, and yet you have chosen to define yourself by the people you have chosen to love. God, would that weight sit on us? Would it change us? And God, would we get rid of this small idea of God that we can put in our pocket? that we can give our own name to, but that when we would come to you, we would hear that name that is so holy that we should be, we should be careful to say it, that is so weighty, it is just like absolute existence, but God, we know you as Jesus Christ, a name that is above every name, the name that our knees bow before, so Jesus, would you help us worship you? Would you even in a further way, God, continue to reveal who you are, reveal your name to us tonight? In your name, amen.